Are we recording? Is this thing on? Yes, it is. Welcome to RevOps 500, where we invite the world's top marketers to answer the tough questions facing growing organizations. Ooh, sounds important. I'm Sajil Qureshi. And I'm Gil Bates. Join us as we dive deep into the world of RevOps. We'll be learning strategies and expertise from first-hand experience. RevOps 500 is sponsored by Computan. They provide technical and development expertise to growth-focused marketing teams. Let's get started. Today we have a extremely special guest uh, for you guys to listen to. I'm very excited to be talking to him. He's a branding expert. He's a marketer, keynote speaker, mentor, team player. He's very, very tenacious if you get to know him. He's very technical. And yeah, he's an extremely hard worker. Uh, he's also the CMO of AgroPulse. Uh, his name is Daryl Prale. Nice to meet you, Daryl. I'm thrilled to be here. Thank yeah, you thanks so for much. Another show, Daryl. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Daryl, looking... so anyways, why don't we get uh, started right into it? So, Daryl, what is one RevOps myth that you have? Oh, oh, okay. Uh, so, you see, you see, folks, if you wonder if this was live, you heard me go, oh, oh, that was me thinking about it. So, here we go. The one RevOps myth I have, and I'll be curious your reaction to this, uh, because it's not something I hear talked about a lot, but it's what I've lived. What I've lived is that RevOps is a let's call it there you know they're they're a service uh bureau for lack of a better word where they're there to support you know sales and marketing hence rev revenue um but so the customers of RevOps the leaders of sales the leaders of marketing assume that RevOps understands business understands how marketing works understands how sales works understands how sales reps can game the system, could avoid work. And they assume that RevOps has the ability to be constantly uh, looking for areas of concern or areas that could be optimized and improved upon. But for them to do that, they need to understand the roles of sales and marketing. And often they don't, which means the myth is people think RevOps have the skills to help you optimize your operations and often they don't that's i believe that's a myth mm, so you're saying that they don't have the skills to optimize sales and marketing i am saying that i'll give you a classic example think about how sure. revops is typically organized right typically someone okay. comes into revops either from a marketing side maybe they're a marketing automation expert or a sales side, they're a CRM expert and they realize, I like this job. Uh, maybe I'm a former marketer, maybe I'm a former sales rep and, and I, I do a career shift and now I'm in RevOps. And this is, woohoo, I love it. It's great, okay? Yeah, uh, so I'll use the example of that marketer that comes into RevOps. Does that marketer understand the sales rep and how they're gonna game the no. opportunities? They don't, right. but they're in RevOps. And so we're gonna go to RevOps and they're going to say, tell me what my reps are doing wrong. Tell me where I need to optimize. Tell me who's performing ideally. Mm. Tell me what the average, you know, how, how do we compare? Like, like, what are the best reports? Can you give me classic requests? Can you give me some killer reports that really help me identify the performance of my team with, of course, minimal direction? Because if we had it, we would tell you what we want, but we don't because we think you have that expertise and you've exactly. seen it all. And can you bring to the table? But that person came into the world from a marketing angle and they don't know a clue about sales. Right. So that's an interesting point. So then, you know, if you have sales 
best coming into RevOps. They don't understand the marketing side, but the marketing person comes into RevOps. They don't understand the sales side. So how right. do you get around that? What, how, do you, how do you squash the myth, I guess you could say, in practicality? Ah, squash. I mean, to me, it, it always comes back to hiring a RevOps leader who has done some shape and form, both disciplines, um, or you get a leader within the organization who's willing to, to mentor that leader. In other words, a sales leader or a marketing leader. The challenge with that, <clears throat> so candidly, most RevOps professionals learn this over time. So that marketer that came into RevOps over the next three, four or five years will be exposed to rep sales reps gaming the system over and over again and finally realize and learn what to look for. But until they have that experience, or if you have a young RevOps team or you have a small RevOps team, that's the risk you run. So the RevOps leadership need to be very active. The RevOps leadership need to do a self-critical assessment whether they have the skills and uh, and if not, they need to consult with the head of sales or the head of marketing to, marketing. to, to do that. So that's it. But I do have a second myth that I do want to sure. float a second myth. All right. Well, that's, uh, that's a huge violation of uh, podcast policy. I know it we'll is. A slide for you, Daryl. That's okay. I asked permission. So the second <laughs> myth I have is this, is that right. RevOps uh, implement the best systems and tech to meet the needs of their circumstances. That's a myth. RevOps, eight times out of 10, implement the tech that they themselves are biased no. towards. And right. no, you got it. So classic case, I see this over and over again. <clears throat> uh, maybe you're a HubSpot shop and the sales team says, you know what we need? We need a sequencing tool, a cadence tool. And based on their circumstances, maybe the best tool is outreach or sales law or vanilla soft. Instead, they say, let's use HubSpot sequences because it's what it works for them. And then the clients, sales or marketing, just assume that that's the best tool for them. They've consulted them, they've included them, and they assume that was the right choice. Over and over again, I see that mistake too. So the myth is, is that they provide the best tools for the organization. That's a myth. They often provide the best tools that fits within their comfort zone. Got it. So... It's almost like what you're saying is that these guys, these RevOps people cannot play any kind of a guitar. They have to play a guitar that, like a, a guitar brand that they like. They don't can they can play like a guitar, which is not theirs. If they're, if they're Salesforce engineers, like for RevOps, they're going to want to pull out HubSpot and put Salesforce in. They're HubSpot Correct. people. Absolutely. Okay. And I'm not saying that's uniform across the board. Remember, the conversation here is, is myths, right? Sure. So if I look, if I look at the underlying you know, root cause of those myths, to me, it's exactly what you just said. And, and what do you think about like, so let's talk about this music analogy with HubSpot and CRMs or whatever. Sure. You know, obviously in, in music you know, or in most skills, you hear tone is in the fingers, right? Like, you know, Jimi Hendrix sounds like Jimi Hendrix regardless of what he's playing. It could be a toy guitar, it could be a Les Paul guitar, it could be any guitar. Yep. But is it the same case in RevOps? Is tone in the fingers, fingers for RevOps engineers, you think? Oh, that's a deep question, dude. Um, nobody's ever even remotely asked a question like that. Yeah, I think it is. I think it is. Honestly, I think it, I think, I mean, it's no different. I mean, I think it applies across all disciplines, right? If I, you know, yeah. people would look at my marketing in my last job and look at my marketing in the current job and say, you know, you're the same marketer, you know, your videos, your posts, they look and they smell like Daryl. They, they haven't changed because you're a different job. <laughs> you may be talking about different items. 
because you know you sell to a different audience or you have a different product mm -hmm. to offer, but it's still distinctly sure. you. And I think RevOps is yeah. the exact same way, totally the exact same. Sure. Way, which, by the way, is a really cool thing because if you've got great tone, you're going to be in demand. Interesting. So yeah, you feel that if you're if you're good in one set of tools, you could be good in any set of tools. It just yes, I absolutely do. The biggest thing I see okay. is fear, right? Like I, I've witnessed this over and over again, uh, mm -hmm. where I've, how do I put this? Um, well, let's not, I'm, I'm going to go down that road. I, I do believe, I, I just don't think everybody in RevOps have enough faith in themselves, right? So, right. cause it gets, it's very comfortable if I'm good at Salesforce, I always want to put Salesforce in cause I just know it. And, mm -hmm. and it allows me to get to the end. Often it'll, it's, it's the right decision. Because if we're on a timeline, it allows me to get to the right, uh, to our end game, our end goals sure. faster. Because I know it. And how to, but <clears throat> if the company already has, so if you join the company and they're a HubSpot shop, but you know, salesforce.com, this is where I see conflict where people, they, they would rather just rip out HubSpot because HubSpot doesn't do it like Salesforce did it. Well, guess what? Mm -hmm. No. <laughs> No, it doesn't do it like Salesforce did it, but the, the, the concepts are the same. And by the way, you know, HubSpot does things that are in some regards, but in, in some ways better than sure. what Salesforce does. So, you know, every tool has got strengths and weaknesses, it, but you're the professional. You're the one that needs to adapt. Again, I'll use me as an example, just because it's easy to pick on myself. You know, my last job, I was selling a sales tech tool to a sales audience. And this job, I'm selling a marketing tech tool to a marketing audience, completely different Different. It's like comparing Salesforce versus HubSpot, but I'm still a marketer and all the core strengths and knowledge and acumen and, and, and experience I have applies, but I needed to invest time up front to adjust and figure out my new product and my new audience. And admittedly, that first week, first month, first quarter in the job, I'll tell you, I did not know what the hell I was doing because I was so rapidly learning. And that was learning- right you know, the environment as opposed to the, my marketing knowledge didn't disappear on me. So it's the same in RevOps, your RevOps knowledge, how things work, what a pipeline looks like, what the standard reports are looking like, you know, none, none of that changes. Got it. Okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. And let's talk about some challenges you're facing. You know, I'm obviously, you know, you've, you've, you've been a, a marketing leader in multiple companies. I mean, there's probably a lot of things that you see history repeating itself over and over and over again sometimes. What is it, but what is a challenge that you face now that's maybe keeping you up at night a little bit? I know not much probably keeps you up at night, but you know, if you can think of something marketing related, you know, what, what would it be? So marketing, not RevOps? Or, or RevOps. RevOps. Rev, 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 sorry, rev, RevOps related. Sorry, RevOps related. Rev, it's okay. just want to make sure that one. Uh, yeah, I can actually, I can tell you, I yeah. can totally tell you what keeps me up at night on the RevOps side, which is, a, a um, how do I put this succinctly? A, a very explicitly defined buying process that is documented, and I want to start high and go low. That is documented, uh, you know, from the buyer's journey, from the first time they sniff us, see us, visit us, to the time they physically you know, ink the deal and is, and the sales off the deal is close or lost. That whole journey has to be documented and agreed to between the whole revenue stakeholders. So typically marketing and sales, 
Um, you know, what happens if, what if they go to sign up, if there's a free trial, what do the forms look like? What are the drop down values? Are we cleansing that with a clear bid or a zoom info? Or are we going to explicitly ask those values ourselves? Do we then, you know, enroll that into a sequence or do we flip it to a sales exec or, or an AE or an SDR? What are the rules of when we flip, you know, do we allocate to whom, right? Is it based on revenue? Is it based on ideal customer profile? So it, it is incredibly granular, right? To the point of timing. If I'm sending them, uh, they sign up for a free trial and I'm sending them all these sequence messages, our product does A, next email, our product does B, next email, our product does C. But all of a sudden, they hit a certain threshold of they look like they're a great fit or they're all over our site or they're really using our product. And now the rep is involved. Well, if the rep emails them, but they're getting this product free trial nurture email, are we spamming them? And then the product itself is sending them notifications and now they're getting overwhelmed. So you got to think about all, all of those all touch of points. And then, so this is me from going from high, transitioning from high to low, does the, does the tech stack manage all that? Does it make sure that we have checks and balances? It unsubscribes them from one sequence when they enter another sequence. That does it have intelligent routing rules when they finally get into the uh, in, into the AE's bucket to pursue and they're having conversations? Is it making sure that the, all the checks and balances are there along the way that you can't go from an initial call to a proposal without disco being uh, the qualification or disco taking place or multi-threading taking place? on the opportunity. So are all the checks and balances there? So I document it down to that. And I find over and over and over again, that is missed because no one wants to get that granular or understands it across the whole journey. And RevOps is the center of the universe. They are the owner of that journey because they take the stakeholders, marketing, sales, the executive team, whomever. Um, and they make sure it all happens. And it keeps me up at night because at the end of the day as a marketer, my job is to show an ROI on the spend I've made to drive new business. And I worry and I see firsthand how many leads are being wasted because yes. we're not touching them or we touch them too late or we're not, you know, oh, this is a high value opportunity. We just let it continue to nurture as opposed to sending it to a rep. Or it's a great lead, but we didn't multi-thread it. And then because we didn't multi-thread it, we, you know, a two-seat deal could have been a 20-seat deal. And all that comes back to me when they say, how much revenue did you drive, Daryl? So for me, the whole buyer's journey is what keeps me awake at night because I know I'm just bleeding money. So when it comes to the, something like the buyer's journey and optimizing for it, you know, how do you, how do you solve a problem like that? I mean, how, do you, how do you turn that sleepless night into a sleepful night? There is, I wish there was a secret sauce yeah. answer that I could give you. It's, it's, I'll give you the generic one, but, it, but I can't, even though it's generic, this is so emphatically true. You need to have all of the stakeholders and what I've learned uh, together and align, what I've learned over time, this has just been my experience, is that if your stakeholders are distributed, because so many of us work from home, we're in different locations, it is worth all the gold, you know, at Fort Knox to fly everybody in and have a face-to-face -face whiteboard document this and have very clearly defined takeaways. Doing, you know, two, three, four, eight-hour sessions on Zoom is good, but people still multitask. They still get distracted. 
They're still responding to important messages. Lock them up in a room, fly them all into one place. That is huge. And I've learned that by making those very mistakes. Got it. So just getting really, you know, up close and personal with the problem, with the people involved, that's what you yes. feel like is the best way to, to do it. Yeah, yes. that's probably- another thing you need to have. You got to make sure that this sounds stupid. You got to make sure that the power dynamic is balanced. So I'll give you a simple example. If you've got a very uh, agreeable marketing leader and you've got a very driven, strong sales leader, then what will tend to happen is the process will be overwhelmed by the needs of sales and, un- sales. and it will not meet the needs of marketing, right? So again, you've got to make sure that you've got a, a, a ground rules in place that everybody gets an equal voice and there's no overwhelming. And there's got to be a little bit of, of management involved with those personalities and someone has to be designated the, the individual to do that. And, so and these are all had, human nature issues, but it's critical. Yeah. And have, have, is, is this how you solve this problem when, you, when you're optimizing for hours? You, you get everybody in a room and you, and you whiteboard yes. the whole thing up? Yes. And I hate it because, you know, you know like in my case, my, my head off, I'm, in, I'm personally located in Ottawa, Canada, but my head yeah. office is in Paris, France. So for me to go and it's like, you know, it's a, it's, it's a process. I have to go yes. and have multiple connections and I have to fly there and it's hotels and it's time changes and there you go. But the reality is it is the best thing possible. And this is what people need to forget because we will sometimes make these decisions on a short sighted basis. Like, oh, I don't want to travel. Can't we just use Zoom? And then all of a sudden a quarter or two or three goes by and we're missing our numbers because the process is still broken. Broken. Right. Whereas if I would have taken that time out of my schedule, I would have been having much better results. I would be hitting my bonuses on my variable compensation. I would be hiring more people. We'd be hitting our numbers and growing. I'd be getting pay raises all because of that. It sounds stupid, but that's the honest to God truth. I've seen it happen over and over again. And how long does these, do these sessions last? Are they like hours? Are they days? Are they weeks? I mean, how long are you there for? How many, how long are the sessions? Mm-hmm. If you're going to do the whole, you know, journey, uh, as I described, you're going to be locked up with a bunch of people in a room eight hours a day for probably three to five days. And that'll be enough to document the high level process, right? Now you still have to come back and implement it, but at least you, you have walked through all of the what ifs, all of the scenarios, basically think of it, all the branches. If this happens, we go here, you know, think about yeah, yeah. our, all of our mural boards, right? And you, and you have the, the, yes. the decision. You know, do they fill out this field? Yes, no. What are the branches? All that logic, you have to map, you have to walk through it. And it's amazing how when you do that, there's so many things you don't think about initially until you're forced to do that because you think it's obvious. And then somebody else in the team says, and this is what I see happen all the time. Oh, but we, uh, you know, we don't do that. We do this. And you're like, what? I didn't know we did that. And so there's a lot of tribal knowledge that's in the organization. And when you have people on that revenue team come to their document, the journey, uh, some will be there for three months. It will be there for 30 years. I'm exaggerating. But with that, you start to uncover all of the legacy decisions that were made that are now influencing your buyer's journey and what happens or what doesn't happen or why you can do something or why you can't do something. Um, and so you, you, you need them all together and to bounce off of each other. Okay. So now, Daryl, we've talked about the, the present functions of RevOps. Yep. What do you think the future of it holds? Oh, very, very good days for RevOps. Um, mm-hmm. So there was a time 
I'm now, because I can say this because I have white hair and I'm old. There was a time when I, in the early days, when I was selling enterprise deals, whether I was in marketing or sales, mm -hmm. that we couldn't get a deal done without the CIO or the CTO or the head of IT being in the room because they had to give their blessing. And then time went on and then all of a sudden you have SaaS and all of a sudden everybody, it was the wild, wild west, you know, anybody could go sign up for a subscription. And then you came, you know, tech stack, hell and, and the company subscriptions on a monthly basis went through the roof and it was out of control. And then slowly, but nobody wanted to own anything. And eventually marketers started owning, you know, the CRM and the marketing automation and slowly they became marketing ops and you had sales ops. And then they, they, they coalesce now into RevOps, often RevOps, often, not always, but often still resides under marketing, but they are now, the head of RevOps is often at every single executive meeting or leadership meeting. So for the future, we're, we're going back to the future where RevOps has a seat at the executive table. They don't report to sales. They don't report to marketing. They are the neutral arbiter reporting up to either a president or a CEO or a COO. Um, mm -hmm. Maybe even on a remote cases, sometimes a CFO, uh, and they are again becoming the gatekeeper to make sure that whatever we invest in uh, fits in with our IT platform, fits in with our security requirements, fits in with our data and privacy requirements. So we are back to the future. And if you're in RevOps, it is a good time for you because compensation for quality people will only increase, and your authority and influence will only increase. That's mine view of what's happening in the world. Would you agree? I see you nodding your head. Is that a good thing? I mean, I will. I see, I see you were seeing a lot of these CRO roles come in, right? Chief revenue officer, which I mean, yep. it's not really a sales role. It's not really a marketing role. It is really the combination of sales, marketing, customer success, those sorts of things. I mean, so I, I think yep. the future that you're predicting is kind of the present now. It already is. Well, it isn't, it isn't because I see, okay, so I was just the CRO at my last gig at Vanilla Soft for five years. And I did, I own, yeah. in fact, you'll love this story. Um, when they, so I was the CMO and when they approached me about a year, year and a half in, if I was interested in the CRO role, which to your point, owned, uh, would own all of sales, all of marketing. I had a condition and I said, I'll do it on condition of two things. And they said, what's that? I said, one, I get to build a sales enablement team to coach and develop mm -hmm. sales reps. And they said, okay. And I said, two, we create a dedicated rev ops team. We had, we had sales ops and we had marketing ops and they were in the respective divisions. And I said, and, and I own that. I own all of revenue ops and, they, and, I, and there will be more tech investment. And they said, done. So that was a condition of me becoming a CRO. So my point being here is that was a condition because I, I, that's how critical it was to me being successful as a CRO. CRO. I did have that span of control across all the organizations on the buyer's journey, as you said, but there are too many companies out there that when you say CRO, all that is, is they gave a senior sales leader who might've been a VP, a better yeah. title because they didn't want to pay him more money, but Hey, we'll make you a C level instead of a V level, but you're still just running sales. And I see that over and over and over again, but you're right. As the CRO role evolves to what it's destined to be, that's the, that, that is absolutely it. The challenge is this. And I've had so many recruiters approach me over and over again, and they say, Daryl, you've been ahead of marketing. You've been ahead of sales. You, th that person to fill the CRO role who truly has in-depth experience of both of those disciplines, that's like finding a unicorn. There are very yeah. few people out there who have that experience, which is ironic because what did we say when we started off here about the myth? 
there's very few actual RevOps people who know no, all the disciplines. Yeah, it's, it's a very interesting conundrum. <laughs> it's a challenge, okay, so and it's an opportunity. It's a very big challenge. It's a very big challenge. I mean, so, you know, like, I, I, I mean, this is like, you have a lot of wisdom and knowledge about this stuff. I mean, how, how did you, how did you get into the, into the world of, of, of marketing and, and rev ops and sales? I mean, you, you've, you've crossed the different, crossed those divides several times throughout your career. I mean, can you take us back to little Daryl? I mean, and, and kind of how you got into this whole thing? Yeah, I can actually, the answer is really simple when you, when I explain it uh, and it's almost obvious. So, um, Little Daryl uh, began life as a computer programmer, you know, as a coder. And uh, after doing that, and actually when he finished university, uh, he was tired of coding. He'd been coding all through high school, university, and he was tired of it. And he was like, I don't want to do this. So his first job was, you know, what do I do if I'm a, I'm a, a degree coder who doesn't want to code? Well, what everybody else says, go into sales. So I sold photocopiers for six months, door to door, so boys and girls listening, that's me wearing a suit in those days and walking on strip malls, <laughs> industrial parks, and walking up to the greasy mechanic and saying, hey, buddy, do you want to buy this photocopier? Talk about learning rejection in a hurry. I did that for six months. And, uh, and then I said, okay, I suck at this, um, but I learned a lot. <clears throat> and I went back to coding. And I coded for six or seven years. And what happened was over that time was I got more and more of what I like to describe, maybe this is not politically correct, but uh, attention deficit challenge, right? In other words, in, in the early days, I used to love spending eight, 12, 14 hours a day in front of the screen. But as time went on and I was getting older and more mature, uh, I could do two or three hours. And then I was like, uh, my mind was wandering. And so what I needed was I needed more challenging. I needed more people interaction because I was growing into myself. So what I figured out was uh, I could, uh, because I had a little bit of sales background and I had the technical background, I actually went and worked for, uh, because before I was working for insurance companies, what, what have you, I went and worked for a tech company because I knew some tech and uh, in a, in a pre-sales role. And from pre-sales, they said, hey, you're pretty good. You want to do product management? And I said, sure. I had no idea what that was. I did product management. And they said, hey, you're pretty good. Now we need to market what, you, what you've just built. You want to go into product marketing? And I said, sure. I said, sure. So I did product marketing. Um, and then I said, I, you know, I kind of like this. And so from there, I, I just went into marketing. And, and then I went back and forth with sales and marketing. So it's, it's because I'm technical uh, and had a technical background uh, that I understand the tech behind rev ops. Um, and I understand sales and marketing and I understand my buyer, but that's why I'm a coder by trade who got bored coding. And look, I mean, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, coder coding company those kind of things but i'm not bored of it yet but you know maybe one day <laughs> so well that's look, why i i was a huge fan of marketing automation when it came out because i'm like this is epic i can just make landing pages and campaigns and emails and it's all WYSIWYG. like for me i was in i was in heaven i was an earth i was marketo customer number 40 i mean i i, wow. I was a early early early, early adapter, adopter yeah, yeah um yeah. because i could see the power of it right uh and, and you learn so there you go. And is there like a particular mentor of yours who got you from coding to marketing who said that we don't want you to be in pro product management anymore. We want you to be in marketing now. Was that, was that kind no. of a person who was a tipping point or no, there is nobody. Oh, well, interesting. no, no, no. But hear me out. So the answer was no to the question you asked, but yes, there was a mentor and I'm laughing as I think about it because the mentor was actually a, a former chief technology officer. But what the mentor mm -hmm. did for me 
um, because I had, I had, I've had a reasonably good career and I, I came into executive roles, um, through luck, uh, fairly fast. And, but I didn't know what it meant to be an executive, right? So yeah, I had the coding. Yeah. I had marketing. Yeah. I had sales, but I had never been an executive and I would go into meetings all the time and I would have these fantastic ideas. And by the way, they were pretty good ideas and I get shot down and then he would come into the meetings and he'd have this idea. And everybody would like high five them. I'm like, yeah. And, and I finally one day lost it. I went to him and I said, how the hell do you get your ideas blessed all the time? And I get yeah. shot down all the time, right? Like, what is what going on? And yeah. so he was a mentor and, and he started laughing at me. And he goes, Daryl, let me, I'll, I'll teach you how to be an executive. And the first thing he taught me, which by the way, applies today still dramatically, but especially for anybody in RevOps was this. He goes, when you go to an executive meeting, which is no different than anybody in RevOps, people in, in RevOps, you're herding cats because you have to get the salespeople and the marketing people and the yep. executives and they all, they all have opinions and, and they never agree and they all, they're, they're, they're strong personalities. How do you do that? And it's the same as an executive because you have the exact same people, but now they're, they have bigger titles and bigger salaries and bigger egos and whatnot. Um, he said, Daryl, you go over to the meeting thinking that that's the meeting. He goes, that's not the meeting. He goes, when I go into the meeting, I have gone to every single one of you one-on-one -on -one, and I've, I've done the following. I've said, hey, I've got this idea. Just want to bounce it off you. What do you think? Hmm. And, and, and we think you're, you know, it's you, he's saying to me, you think I'm confiding and bouncing something off of you. And you give me your feedback and it's really interesting. 80% of what you gave me, I already thought about 20%. It's interesting. I'll take, you know, a few bits Whatever. from your new pieces of information. He goes, but I do that to every single executive. And so when I go and present it, it looks like I'm presenting it for the first time at that executive meeting. And when I lay it all out, every single one of you can identify your contributions. And so you're both, you're all advocating for me, but you already knew it was coming. And therefore you all say yes. And I'm like, holy shit. And what he taught me was how to build consensus. And building consensus is at the core, the foundation of getting any project to completion which is what RevOps is all about, right? How many times does the CEO or the CFO said, we need to do this. And then they look at RevOps. It's all about building consensus and, get, and, and, and working with stakeholders. So yeah, I had a mentor. He taught me how to be an executive. He taught me how to build consensus and collaborate and get my way. So, and, and he was a chief technology officer. He was phenomenal. So you're back channeling a little bit, talking to some people one-on-one yes. -on -one and then bringing them into a meeting. And then, yeah, it's an interesting way of doing it. Pretty common and simple, but you know, it's something we don't think about in a marketing context or in a specific context like that. Especially if you come yeah, up on a, on a rev ops, you, you tend to be a cust, you have this customer service mentality, go make that landing page. Okay. You know, go create this campaign. Okay. Go make that report. Okay. So you're very much responding to the task, but now evolves, then you have to go and actually you have an initiative that someone gives you and you have to go build consensus. That is new turf for you. And you know, there's going to be money oh, yeah. involved and you're going to, you're going to anger somebody because you're going to recommend a, and, but they really want it B. So building consensus is, is, is a skill that we just don't teach people. And, and it's critical to any kind of career progression, but, but especially in RevOps because it spans so many uh, stakeholders. Yeah. And you, and you have all these dependent variables, you know, like you can't yes. do anything really on your own. You need, buying from yes. sales, marketing, customer success, whomever. You nailed it. You nailed it. And so is, is say something like building consensus. If you were to go back in time to young Daryl, was that something you would teach 
him at an earlier age if you could? Or is there something else you would teach yourself at an earlier age that's more important for your role now that you can think of? Yeah. So uh, I would definitely teach them at, at an earlier age because that's a, that's a life skill, which is ironic. It's not just a work skill. It is a life skill. Whether you're, you know, you're doing, you're trying to do, you know, a recreational a soccer or hockey league and you're working with all these parents and coaches and the associations, yeah. you got to build, you know, you got to build consensus, et cetera. Right. So that's a life skill. But the other thing I would teach uh, Daryl at a much younger age is, is to have confidence in themselves. The biggest thing is two things I've, I've learned. One, I've learned personally to have confidence in yourself. So long story short, I had a bad boss in an early job. The very, very first time I was on a full-fledged marketing manager, gave me zero input and I felt lost and I got so frustrated. I got to a tipping point, a breaking point where I finally said, um, screw it, I'm gonna get fired. So if I'm gonna get fired, I'm just gonna be, I'm gonna wanna be able to leave the job with my head held high knowing I did what I thought was right. So I just started making decisions without waiting for approval or sign off from the boss. And they loved me and I got a massive raise afterwards. And that, But I had to go to that tipping point to believe in myself. That was the number one thing that I've learned at a younger age. At your core, you probably are right. Have faith in yourself. All right, that's the first part. Second thing I've learned as a parent and as a boss, really as a parent, as my, my, my kids are now 26 and 28. They're in the workforce. They're not new in the workforce. They've been in the workforce for you know a handful of years, you know, maybe five, right. six years now. And they don't teach people about managers and how managers, their bosses think. And I've had my kids come to me over and over again, and they were frustrated with their bosses and they were just ready to quit their job. They didn't know what to do, and they were seeking my opinion, which I love. They thought they sought my opinion. And this is what nobody taught me that I would teach young Daryl because I'm teaching my kids. I would say to them, no, I said, the manager hired you for a reason. I said, they believe in you. I said, you may not like what they're doing, but they may not be aware of it. I said, I would rather you come to me as your boss and say, professionally, respectfully, this is my explicit, abrupt, you know, unvarnished concern and, and challenge and frustration. How can we fix this as opposed to you quitting? And I said to them, trust me. They won't be upset. Nine times out of 10, they won't be upset because remember they hired you. They want to keep you happy. You're, you're an investment. They just are. And, and when I watch my kids over and over again, take my advice every single time, they're shocked. Now they understand it. The people don't teach young, new career people how to deal with managers. And I'm telling you this, your manager's not trying to be an idiot. They're probably just unaware. And if you're respectful, the classic line I taught my kids works like gold is simply to say, I'm new, I'm young. Can you help me understand why you made this decision? Can, can you help me understand? That's not an attack. Mm. Now that leads right. to a conversation because they can say, well, why are you asking? Well, this is my, this is what I've noticed. This is my concern. And they'll say, oh, that's not what I meant. Oh, I didn't know that. And you'll get resolution. So young Daryl teaching people, Build consensus, teaching how to engage and manage their boss in a constructive way uh, and overcoming that fear. Yeah, Man manage the boss. I like that one. <laughs> manage the you You, boys and girls, you always manage up. You always manage. I can, I proactively, my boss is the CEO. I proactively communicate with him on a regular basis. And I want to be clear on something. 
That includes when I'm struggling, when I'm missing deadlines, when I have issues. It's much, you know, go back to our parents. You know, our parents would have said, and when I find out that you broke this, I, yeah, I am angry. Would I have been angry if you'd have told me? Yes, but I would have been less angry. Angry. Right? Or less frustrated because you weren't trying to hide it. You weren't trying to avoid it. And then we can deal That's with honesty too. That's honesty too. It's honesty. Honestly. People yeah. are people. At the end of the day, we're all just little boys and girls. Exactly. Honesty is a big, big thing. Yep. All right. So like, you know, Daryl, you're, you're just, you're a really interesting guy. I mean, like, what, what, are, what are you doing outside work? I know you said you had a couple of kids. I mean, you know, family, what, what are you doing for fun these days? I'm boring. Uh, <laughs> I, Don't say I, I have... I have uh, I have a, a gadget, um, uh, a fetish where I, I I if it's new and it's electronic I have to buy it and try it and my wife hates it. Um, you talk about me being coder. I just uh, I am reliving my youth, so I've I've been buying a number of uh, electronic games and whatnot that I grew up with. But I just recently bought I went and rebought my first ever computers. Uh, for those of you, you know, most people won't recognize this, mm. but. In 1980, my first computer that cost me 400 Canadian dollars was a Texas Instruments TI-994. And I, oh, yeah. There we go, right? And it had Sprint yeah. graphics, which was 32-bit back then. So I just bought one on eBay for like 72 bucks American. Picked that up. It's mint condition. So I'm going to go and play and, you know, go back to my coding roots in TI Basic and just have some fun wow. just for me. You know, I know. Just, you know, those kind of things. I just... I, I like to putter. I'm a news junkie. I love the news. My wife hates that about me. Um, my Twitter handle is opinionated, which is uh, very true. I like to think respectfully, but yeah, I like to, I like to opine on what's going on in the world. Um, but for the most part, I'm a family guy. I'm introverted. And uh, despite what you see here uh, when I'm on air and uh, I like just to hang out with the family. I got a wonderful uh a standard schnauzer dog named Velvet. We do a uh, my she and my wife and I, we do a lot of camping uh, when it's a little nice. warmer here in Canada. So we're big campers, uh, which is again, it would camping for us is like the anti-technology, right? We're back in nature, we're with water and, and trees and trails and anything not Absolutely. digital. So you know, I, I, I'm just at that point. I'm not that most interesting, but you know, just enough to you know scratch an itch. Well, I mean, you sound interesting to to me for sure. Oh, you're nice. <laughs> you're polite. Well, I mean, look, you know, Daryl, thanks for uh, coming on the show and just jamming with us a little bit about RevOps. It's been like a a huge thrill to to talk with you. I mean, you, you know, you have a lot of different types of skills, abilities, perspectives, which are very, very unique in the RevOps world because it's a very new field. But you have been doing this for a very long time. You're a technical person. Uh, you know, our listeners are going to benefit a lot from from you being here. So, thanks a lot for coming on. Thank you for having me. Yeah, well, and uh, guys, that's our show. Thanks for for listening to another episode of RevOps 500. Uh, again, if you like, if you like the show, if you laughed a little bit about it, you know, please tell someone about the podcast. Uh, Daryl, you know, quick thanks again to you, and uh, yeah, we'll see you all next time. Thanks so much. And that wraps up another episode of RevOps 500. Thanks for joining. For show notes and other episodes, visit us at RevOps500.com. RevOps 500 is sponsored by Compute, providing technical and development expertise to growth-focused marketing teams.